This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in the space. Let's get started. Kamini Wood, a certified professional human potential coach, helps people take the courageous steps to identify their limiting beliefs, the reasons for their stagnation or feelings of not enoughness, so they can have what they want professionally and personally to live a fulfilled life. She is the creator of Authentic Me and CEO of Live Joy Your Way, a coaching company helping high performers and overachievers who have seen success through old rooted traditional metrics reestablish their relational self-awareness. Kamini is also a certified life coach, certified wellness coach, certified conscious uncoupling coach, certified teen life coach, licensed body positivity facilitator, certified calling in the one coach, certified breathwork coach, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging trained, certified new money story coach, board certified AADP, certified project manager, shame-informed-based coaching, emerging adults-based coaching. She is a Diamond Award winner as the best wellness coach. She is just an all-around amazing woman. All right. So one of the things I love about having a podcast is that I get to interview and meet some of the most wonderful people. Today is no different. So I have the pleasure of introducing everyone to Comedy Wood. She is a powerhouse, as you can hear from her bio. But I really just want to dive in and talk to you a little bit about your own journey. And how did you even get on this path of being, you know, an author, uh, a certified life coach? And obviously it's like more than just a certified life coach. It's the certifications of all life coaches, I think. So how did you actually get here and what formed you? Yeah. So I always say that it wasn't a linear path. What really formed me into the path that I'm on right now is actually, if we were to work backwards, it was being a mom. But let me sort of go back to the beginning, right? So I grew up in in a predominantly white town in Connecticut, one of maybe two Indian families. So both my parents were immigrants here. They came over when they were teens. My mom, like 13, my dad, 19 years old. They actually met in New York and got married and story. But anyway, they moved us to Connecticut. And, you know, growing up in that town, I 
knew I was different. I had a different name. Comedy is not like the names of the other kids. I was definitely darker in skin color. And so going to school in that dynamic, I ne- I do not, let me just say that I don't look back on it with any negativity, but at the time as a five or six year old, you know, you're different because right. people do make fun of your name. It's different, you know, or they're, they're asking like, why are you darker? Cause kids don't know. Right. But what happened was an internalization was occurring where it was like, wow, I'm different. I have to somehow figure out a way to fit in, to belong. Again, not conscious thoughts. These were just internalizations of what was being said to me. And so I did start to find ways to make sure people were happy with me. What does that mean? I did a lot of people pleasing. I did a lot of like, oh, let me do this for you because it'll make you happy. And then you'll like me and all of that. Also, simultaneously, as I mentioned, my parents were immigrants and they were working very, very hard to provide for my sister and I. And what that really meant for me was I didn't want to be a burden. I knew that they were busy. And so what that came out as, is a lot of perfectionism, a lot of just let me not fail. Let me not need help because they're so busy and I don't want to cause them any more stress. It was never anything that they said to me. It was just how I myself internalized what I was witnessing, watching my parents. So those two things kind of stuck with me, right? And so now we go through life and I go through the whole working in the dot-com industry and becoming a project manager and then running the project management office because I was high achiever. So making my way to the top of that little (laughs) dynamic. But within all of that, what I found myself doing was really working with individuals and trying to figure out what they needed to get the project done. You know, what they needed, what would help them grow, what would help them succeed. Once the dot-com bubble kind of burst, I moved on and found myself running a law practice and in the same realm wearing many different hats. But the hat that I absolutely loved was the one that was talking to people about how they wanted to grow, how they wanted to expand. So that was happening professionally. The reason why I said motherhood was really the catalyst was because at the same time, I'm a mom of five. My oldest is 22. My youngest is 10. Oh my Um, gosh. But at the same- Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) How is that even possible? I'm going to say thank you. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. Hold the train. Okay. A mother of five is one. But when you said 22, I'm like, what? (laughs) Yes. She's actually a professional ballerina. And then I have a second year in college, senior, freshman, and then fifth grader. And the fifth grader is like super excited because she's almost done with elementary school. So it's a big year. I love it. (laughs) But anyway, my kids became my catalyst because really what I was witnessing, especially with my middle daughter at the time, was a lot of people losing a lot of like, let me take care of what you need. And I I saw myself being mirrored back. And that was the, oh, wow, wake up moment. Like, if I don't pay attention to this, this is going to keep repeating. And I was witnessing her not honor herself in situations. Mm. And so that was when I realized, okay, I need to kind of go inside and do this work. And so I went through my own recognition of where the narrative was, like, I don't belong. I need to make other people happy, the people pleasing, the perfectionism, where that was holding me back. And as a matter of fact, I realized, oh, it's holding me back even professionally, because actually what I really wanted to do from the time that I was seven was talk to people, (laughs) (laughs) really just support people. Like I wanted to do something in that nature. I didn't know what it was at the age of seven. So as I went through that transformation, I really realized that my personal journey was meant to match something professionally. And that's when I made that big decision of like, okay, we're going to go train in this. And we're going to not just train in it, we're going to train in different modalities because all of us are different. 
you know, with my five kids, they all learn differently. And I know that. So does it make sense to only know how to how to work with somebody from a cognitive level? It's a great tool, but some people do better somatically. So we have to figure out ways to really honor all people so that I can meet them exactly where they are. So I know that I just took you through a long journey, but that's really how I got where I am. That's awesome. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I think a lot of times, you know, we don't have language. We look back and we go, I don't have language for what I want to do or for, you know, like what my child is going through. And then we learn and realize, you know, all of those familial systemic patterns that have been, that are still in there changing the dynamic. So kudos to you for actually saying, I need to do the work on myself because I'm seeing it repeat in my children. Yeah. And then of course, professionally, I mean, the work that I've been doing with individuals, it's it's like, this is, it's more common than we want to really write, because people don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, so the, 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 I'm not good enough is so common amongst yeah. people or the, I don't belong, or I don't deserve. Those are those common false beliefs that really that's the work that it's all about is can I, can I create a space where we're witnessing that and we're coming to a deeper understanding of self and through that deeper understanding of self, figuring out how to take those committed actions to move forward. So I love it. So what, I mean, and let's talk about when you talk about, you know, getting to know yourself. I think one of the questions, and you actually say, you say something that says you help people remember how powerfully resilient they are. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about what resilience is and why do we lose our memory about resilience <laughs> and how do we yeah. cultivate that? You know? Yeah. It kind of goes hand in hand with boundaries. I think that as babies, we're so resilient and we are so full of boundaries, <laughs> You know, we cry and we're like, don't touch me. I don't want you to touch me. <laughs> yes. But resilience, when I'm talking about resilience, it's about being able to kind of face those challenges that life throws at us and coming back and re reacclimating to oneself, realigning oneself. It's not about not facing challenges or brave facing through them. It's about allowing self-compassion as you go through it and being able to say, wow, this is really hard or this is really difficult. And then working through it, showing up for yourself, trusting yourself. And then that's the resiliency. In my mind, that's what resiliency means. Yeah. And it does come from, like, I do believe that as babies, I mean, we we come into this world, (laughs) we are so resilient. I mean, we are, we have all of a sudden we're facing this big world and the only way that we can communicate is through crying we do it. We figure it out. I mean, that's resiliency. It's like, wow, this is really scary. What am I going to, we don't have the consciousness to know what we're doing at the time. It's natural. Just like boundaries are natural. So you were asking like, what happens? Society, culture, family, those things. Like we get these messages of like, oh no, no, you're not supposed to like, don't cry when you're upset. Right. Or, you know, be quiet when somebody's pushing you, pushing you over. That's where we end up quote unquote, losing it. And so for me, it's about coming back to self. How can we realign with self, realign with those actual core values and those core needs and the core beliefs that we have so that we can really remember how resilient we were when we first entered this world? Yeah. And I think, you know, what's interesting is that alignment, I feel like gives you, it it, it already knows your purpose, right? And so it's almost like you're trying to get back to alignment so that you find your purpose? How do you know you found your purpose? 
You know, that's a great question. I, and I think that maybe what it is is giving yourself permission to have different purposes. Maybe there's not a one purpose, first of all. But for me, the reason why I feel so aligned with this and feel like this is my purpose is I'm in such flow on a day-to-day basis. I get, I start my day and once it starts and I'm in my work, the end of the day is here. And I am like, wow, that was like amazing. And also, how is it already eight or nine o'clock at night? <laughs> but for me, that's an indication that I'm in, I'm in flow. I'm, I'm, I am living my purpose right now. And so that's for me a way that I, I kind of measure it if we're going to measure it. But I also do, cause I work with a lot of college students as well. And that's a big thing that they struggle with is like, well, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. I need to like get it together. Right. And sometimes it is about the possibility of what if you have a purpose for now and as you grow and evolve, maybe the per- purpose also grows and evolves and it's okay for that to happen. You know, I, that's why I say I don't look back at my past and say like, oh, I shouldn't have been doing that. It had a purpose. It right. had an actual purpose and it had meaning at the time. And as I grew and evolved, my purpose and the meaning in the work that I was doing shifted as well. I can totally relate to that. I mean, having worked at, I worked at in payment technology for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. And then after my husband passed, it was kind of like, what am I doing? Right. And so I felt like, okay, my purpose has definitely shifted and found myself really finding myself in yeah. that alignment, which, which is awesome. It, and I love the fact that you talk about flow, because I think people disregard some of that, that flow and the fact that you're, you're focused on joy, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, if you have joy, that's flow, right? Yes. Yes. And I do. I focus on joy rather than just happy because happy to me, while it's lovely, it's still an emotional state. And like all emotional states, they come and go, right? They ebb and flow. And so it really is, do I have joy? Do I have that sense of fulfillment? Because the truth is we can still be in joy and sitting in traffic at the same time. Absolutely. We're not happy. We're not happy. (laughs) But we can be in joy. But we can be in joy. (laughs) I love it. That's absolutely right. So so then when when we talk about, I mean, in this day and age, we have so much to talk about when we think about self-care, mental health, behavioral health, trauma-informed healing, you know, all of those things. There's so many perspectives on what self-care is. And I know you have like an ebook on cultivating self-compassion. Can you talk about how important self-care is and how self-compassion really kind of holds the key to building those productive habits? Absolutely. Yes. And I do think that self-care somehow, I mean, it is part of the pop culture, right? Everyone's talking about self-care and there's the self-care aisles at the the Walgreens (laughs) and the CVS, which great, wonderful. And I believe, absolutely believe in those, but self-care to me is not just the, you know, spa days and things like that. It's also taking five minutes for yourself can actually be self-care, but really it is the, the, crux of it is self-compassion. It's kindness over judgment. So often we are so quick to judge ourselves and we call our, the inner critic calls us names or says, how could you be that stupid? Why did you do that thing? And it's that, it, that keeps us held back. And so self-compassion is recognizing that we are truly making the best decisions that we can for ourselves at the time with the information we have. And so if we go forward and we feel like there's been a mistake made, I challenge people to think of mistakes as an outcome that we're not happy with. 
<laughs> and when we're not happy with that outcome, instead of falling into judgment, it's asking certain questions like, what did I learn? How did I grow? What can I take from this? What might I do differently next time? It's what we would say to a loved one right. if they were facing that. And it's offering us that same kindness. It's also recognizing that we are part of this common humanity. Like we are not going about this on our own. We're not isolated. And also people have had similar experiences and it's actually okay for us to talk about it. It's okay to say, well, how did you handle something like this? And it's also pushes us. Self-care is about being in the present moment and self-compassion is about being mindful. And that, that really goes towards this idea that there was a research study and I constantly forget who it was by, but 70% of our day is either in the then or the there, meaning in the past or in the future. Mm -hmm. And so self-compassion says, come back to the right here and right now. What is happening for you right here and right now? And that to me is also such a huge element of self-care because oftentimes we can ruminate and overthink about what choices we did make, or we can worry about what the future is going to hold, which is completely outside of our control. And instead it says, okay, in this moment, I'm okay. I am safe. Everything is fine. What choice do I make in this moment to move myself forward? I love that. That's awesome. And I think we can be so self-critical and, you know, you, I know you talk a lot about kind of self-sabotaging because I think with self-care, especially it's one of those things where people go, you know, if something comes up, it's like, oh, self-care takes the back seat. Uh -huh. uh, and yep. so, you know, you talk about kind of limiting beliefs and, and, you know, just how to realign yourself with your authentic self. And so how do we, how do we stop kind of that self-sabotage? Yeah, I often will say that self-sabotage is, is the part of us that's trying to control the fallout. It's the, let me mess this up so I know it's coming and then I'm not blindsided. And so really it's just getting curious with the self-sabotage part. It's getting curious with what am I afraid is going to happen here? So for instance, if we're thinking about relationships, we, oh, this happens a lot where I'll hear people say, why well, I, I need to self-sabotage every relationship I'm in. Like as soon as I'm in this great relationship, I do something to mess it up. It's just getting curious with that part. What's that part doing? oh, wow, that part's trying to protect you from the fear of this relationship not working out. So that part does something to just end it and you know it's going to happen so you can control that. It still hurts, but you know it's coming instead of being blindsided. So when we're talking about how do we shift the self-sabotage, it's to really recognize that those are actually limiting beliefs. I don't deserve love. I'm not worthy of this person. And instead coming back to what's actually true that you are already worthy by your mere essence, by you being here, that makes you worthy inherently. And also what's actually true is that you are a loving individual who has love to give and therefore also love to receive. And then we start going back to values. Okay, what are your core values? So then what core actions, committed actions do you wanna to take to move yourself forward? So we start breaking down the self-sabotage, understanding what's underneath it, and then coming back to those those core, core pillars, right? Beliefs needs and values and figuring out how you want to move forward. Yes. Oh, wow. That's really interesting because I think you're right. People really want to control something or have control or seemingly have control. And I think a lot of times we also, you know, when you're going through a lot of change, there are things that you have control of, and then there are things that you don't. 
And so I think I've, I've heard you talk a little bit about just the neuroscience of change and how to interact with that change. Can you talk a little bit about like the, neuro, I mean, what is the neuroscience of change? Because I absolutely love it. <laughs> well, really what change comes down to is the fact that we've got these new, we have neural pathways, right? That we, these are the patterns that we have in place. And so what ends up happening when we're trying to change either a belief or a pattern, a behavior pattern that we've had, we're coming up against that neural pathway and we're saying, no, 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 we want to create a new one. Well, the neural pathway is kind of the, the best metaphor I've used for it. I think the best metaphor is that of a paved highway. You know, it's paved. It's got the lines. You are smooth sailing. It is so much easier to just put on cruise control and just go down what you know. And the challenge is to say, no, we're going to actually take this exit and we're going to go a totally different way. We're going through the woods where it is bumpy, rocky. Branches are everywhere. It is the bumpiest ride we can possibly make. And there's so much of us that wants to say, no, I just want to go on the paved. It's again, smooth sailing, but it's about commitment to what's meaningful to me, what's valuable to me and continuing to go down that path that is super bumpy because the more we do it, the smoother that path gets. And we're actually creating these new neural pathways. So when we're talking about change, it is about recognizing that we are in certain neural pathways that have been built, but we have the capacity through neuroplasticity to create new ones. It's just also about commitment to giving it the time. And that's why they say there's so many different time periods out there, 20 days, 60 days, 90 days. Truth be told, it takes time. <laughs> I don't know that there's a specific way. I believe that it, it, there is like a period where we go through the you know, this is, this is a change I want to make. And then we get to the like really uncomfortable part. Like this is super awkward. I'd much rather be on that paved highway. And then we get to that. Oh yeah, this isn't so bad. I get it. Right. So there's this, it's a, it's a process we go through, but really behind change, we're just talking about building these new neural pathways and our brains are totally capable of doing it. Yeah. I feel like you just took me to the beach house at the end, when I had to navigate through that woods in order to yes. get there, you know? Yes. Yes, which is usually true, right? Every beach that I've been to, there's always like some swamp area that you got to go through. And it's like one lane for each side. Right? And so you're sitting in traffic and it's really frustrating. And it's like but kind of, yeah, weird yeah. and swampy. But then you, but get, you get there, you get there and it's yeah. nice. <laughs> Especially in Connecticut, right? <laughs> I love it. So now I know you have, I think, a, a bunch of different books out. So I want to talk a little mm -hmm. bit about, I know one of them is Voices of the 21st Century, where you kind of contributed a component to that. Can you, mm -hmm. I think it was called Step Out of the Shadow and Into Your Light. Mm, yes, yes. So can yes. you talk a little bit about that? So really what that, so first of all, I loved being part of those 21st century um, compilations because it was a bunch of um, women authors coming together to contribute a chapter. And it just, it was such a pleasure to be a part of. That one was about giving yourself permission to actually figure, give yourself permission to say what it is that you need and want, and then take the action. And for me personally, that meant stepping out behind the scenes of putting everybody, letting everybody else shine and recognizing that. If I shine, and, and the analogy I believe I use even in that even in that chapter was, it's kind of like a lighthouse, right? If you stand as that lighthouse, you become this light that then other people can actually find their way. You don't have to go do for them. Because my whole, my whole being was people pleasing, right? Go and do for people. But instead it was, hey, you can step out of the shadow of being behind everybody. Be your own person. 
stand there with within your own self and actually through that continue to serve people and help them, but you're doing it from a different place and you're really owning your own space. I love that. Be the lighthouse, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. Now, you also talked about, I think you have an audio book called Doing Your Best, Finding Productivity. It's an e-book. Yeah, it's it's a a short e-book. So let's talk about doing your best because you're like a total overachiever. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So when you're talking about doing your best and finding productivity, what, what are some, I mean, I know there are even different motivations and, and, you know, like both extrinsic and intrinsic and all of those things. What, what kind of ways do we, are we able to really focus on finding our own productivity? So I actually talk about this in a slightly different way than most people do. I will say that productivity and motivation actually come after really what it is is about. Again, I come back to my, my go-to all the time is values, but it's, what do I value? What do I need? And from there, setting your goals. And that's once you have those goals set, then you take, you, you break that goal down into smaller bite-sized pieces. And as you're accomplishing those, you continue to self-affirm. And as you're self-affirming, you're actually building your intrinsic motivation. And essentially that's how we become as productive as we can be, right? When we try to set these goals without having any type of recognition of why it's meaningful to us or why we have a need to to do that thing that we're setting out to do it's outside of us it's it's we're most probably driven from from some external source and it's really difficult to feel productive with something that's not driven from the inside out but rather from the outside in so i tend to talk about it in a slightly different way than people no i like i think it's <laughs> it's i mean and, and it's so meaningful right because then you actually are connecting again, yourself, like that's your authentic self. But a lot of people don't know their authentic selves. You know what I mean? We're so busy doing all sorts of other things. All the things. It's mm-hmm. easy to just neglect who you are inside until Absolutely. you find yourself, like literally find yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what happens, I think, is we get so busy with life, doing life. We become these human doings instead of human beings, right? The old adage, yes. like I'm a human being, not a human doing. And it's it's taking really taking stock in that and saying, well, okay, I'm actually a human being. So who am I being? And is that actually connected to me? Is who I'm being who I really want to be and who I really am? Or is it a form of what I think I should be doing? And that's the, that's the key of like shifting from externally driven being to intrinsically being. I love that. So as, as I mentioned, you're like a mom of five, you're working. I know you were working with your husband's law practice for a while. You're now CEO of live joy your way. And it's a a coaching company to help high performers and overachievers who have seen success reestablish their relational self-awareness. Look, I looked that up. So, but I do want to ask you, so, I mean, I know you find yourself in a myriad of roles as most Mm -hmm. of us do Mm -hmm. as a CEO, both balancing your own company, as well as your family. 
how do you balance your personal life and work? Everybody talks about work-life balance. I tend to talk about work-life integration. So how how do you do it? What are what are some things that you do to make sure you're balanced? I actually define balance by saying that it's going to be different every day. Balance for me being is about what what works for me today. Okay. Like for instance, yesterday was a day where I was on mom duty. My daughter, she suffers from really bad allergies. So once a year we have to go through the whole allergy testing and that's like a two to three hour process. And so I knew that today is a mainly I'm on mom for most of the day and I'm going to work, but I'm going to work around that because for me, I know where the value for me is my family. Like that is a high priority in terms of where I like. My, if anybody asks me, Kamini, what's your why? I'm going to absolutely say my kids, like hands down. Yeah. So for me, I know that that's kind of a North Star in my world. So I build my balance around, okay, how can I do both of these things? How can I continue to serve my clients, but also be mom? And so yesterday was more of a heavy family day and less client focused in terms of the number of clients that I saw. Now, other days it's going to shift. And for me, it's about giving myself the grace to shift it Instead of saying it has to be this rigid rule of X amount of this time and Y amount of this time, it's letting it ebb and flow and recognizing that that's where I live in the spectrum rather than this end of the spectrum or that end of the spectrum. And I'll be honest, I think for me, it was going to baby number three that kind of taught me that. <laughs> where it, it is, you know, you yeah. recognize that you can't give one child 100% of your time or you can't give it equally, right? It's not going to be a third, a third, a third. Instead, it's going to be one child might need 60% of your attention that day and the other two, but it all balances out. And so again, that's why I say motherhood has been my best teacher because it's another way that I learned like, oh, balance doesn't have to be a rigid rule. Balance can ebb and flow and I can be with it. I can be in alignment with that ebb and flow. I don't have to fight it. I love that. Yeah. It's like when you go to a zone defense, right? <laughs> it's all about. Okay, <laughs> That's right. We were know. no longer man to man. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. So now you have, I know you have a, also a book called Life's Gentle Reminders. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about why it's so important to just stop and pay attention to daily reminders? Yeah. <laughs> So it's so funny. I actually didn't set out to write that book. It was actually just, I was writing these little um, analogies and kind of capturing. And the analogies were based on everyday experiences I was having. And then I was, I realized, wow, if I could compile this and people could pick it up and read one at a time, they don't have to do front to back. It's just a way to recognize that in everyday life, we have these moments where we can just kind of step back into observer mode and we can see what we could be learning and how we might be able to grow and expand through a normal everyday situation. So I, I still say that one of my favorite ones is just sitting in, I hate traffic. Clearly it's the second time I'm bringing it up in this conversation, but I remember sitting in like construction traffic and I just zoning in on the people working and watching them really like they were digging up the old pavement. And it kind of hit me like, wow, this is kind of what I do for a living where I'm helping people take out those old layers of just stories and narratives before we put down the new ones. Because if we just wanted to swoop in and say, oh no, think of it this way, it would be the equivalent of these individuals just putting down a new layer of pavement, which would just end up with cracks in just a little bit. You've got to take out some of that old in order to put the new in. So it's just, that's an example of like an analogy that kind of, we can, we can just have those moments of like, oh, I could look at this differently and I can learn from it. So that's what that book 
is I love it. I love it. Well, and I know you. And so my mother was an RN for like 50 years. And you talk a little bit about, I know you spent some time with healthcare workers themselves. Yes. And I think a lot of times, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I know I've had a connection with healthcare workers all my life. Never once has anyone I've ever talked to talked about a coach as a healthcare worker. So I think it's absolutely phenomenal that you have a focus there because, you know, they may not always think they need a coach or should be coached or any of that. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, your coaching practice when it comes to healthcare workers? Because I think they're so critical. And a lot of times they're so overlooked as, you know, whether you're a healthcare worker, caretaker, you know, a lot of that, it, it mm-hmm. takes so much out. Oh, 100%. A lot of the work that I do, I, I have done a lot of work with doctors, especially where we're dealing with two different things mainly. One is they have their own form of imposter syndrome, right? They've gone through all of this school and now suddenly they're seeing these patients and there's a fear around, you know, do I even know what I'm doing? Like, is this actually, am I actually capable to do this work? And and you think about it, they've gone through all these years of training and yet they still also have that self-doubt creeping up. And it can be paralyzing when they go out into the medical field. And now they've got these patients in front of them where they're they have to step up and make these decisions. So there's a lot of imposter syndrome that I've coached around. Yeah. The other part of it is as healthcare workers, they are such givers that, that it is a giving industry. And a lot of times we end up seeing a lot of people pleasing that comes up in that, but also overgiving and overfunctioning to the point of their own exhaustion. And so there's a lot of coaching around boundaries and also not just physical boundaries, but like energetic boundaries, because as a healthcare worker, you are taking care of all of these individuals. And sometimes it's difficult to not take it on and take on what your patients are experiencing as your own. So just really coaching through what boundaries could look like in terms of being able to set those. So to your point though, I think that the healthcare industry is definitely overlooked in being that self-care, they get forgotten that they need self-care too. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and so since we talked a little bit about imposter syndrome, because I think, you know, probably everybody has some sense of imposter syndrome at some point in their life, you know, especially if they're looking to, you know, get a new job, you know, whatever. My dad always told me when I was little, you want to be doing the job you want all the time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when they put you in it, it's like, of course, you know, you you get the job, you know. But I think a lot of times, especially as women, mm-hmm. we tend to feel like we have imposter syndrome when somebody's asking us to do something we've never done before. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like in your example of a doctor, I mean, there are so many different layers as you come out of school and now you're, you know, going into your practice or whatever. And you are literally, I mean, life or death is on the line. Right. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. The pressure yeah. is intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, like when, when you're talking about imposter syndrome, how, how are there techniques or things that you can focus on to help people who may feel like they have imposter syndrome? A lot of times we start tracking what the inner critic is saying or what that inner dialogue is saying. 
usually we will uncover some shame that might be being carried from a previous experience. And so when we can unshame, again, unshaming is the witnessing of what is that dialogue we're able to then shift out because a lot of the imposter syndrome will be, I'm a fake or a fraud. I'm going to be figured out. Oh, this just happened by a fluke. Um, I can't possibly do this. I'm never going to succeed. All of those are elements of the same idea, which is this inner dialogue that is putting you down. It's that judge mindset. So we come to this place of let's bring it to the awareness, right? Because once we're aware of something, now we can actually make a decision about how we want to move forward. If it's in our subconscious, it's just being filtered and we're make, taking action without being really aware of what, what's happening. So that's really the crux of how we how we can come at imposter syndrome, which is really becoming aware of what, what it is that we're even saying to ourselves. And then we go back to Byron Katie, the whole like, what's actually true here? <laughs> it plays a part here too. It's what's actually true about you. Well, guess what? You went to medical school. Guess what? You know what you're doing. It's just now you have to learn. We have to work on building self-trust and we build self-trust by small, actionable items, committed actions that you take. And every time you do it, stop and self-acknowledge, right? Because now we're self-affirming and those will compound to continue to build that confidence. I love that. That's awesome. So, and, and I think what's interesting is when you take the career of someone and then you kind of build in that personal. So how, how does this impact like personal relationships? I am a firm believer that everything's intertwined. You know, we love to try to say, well, it's just this that I need to work on. And it's like, yes. And also really, <laughs> right. let's, let's be, let's, let's be honest about this. Everything is intertwined, but it is true that as you're building maybe these, these muscles in terms of your professional career, you'll notice, you'll start recognizing and becoming more aware of like, where might in your personal relationships that self-doubt be creeping in, right? Like, is there some element of maybe your personal relationship where you're over-functioning and over-giving? And I don't just mean romantic relationships. It can be in friendships. It can be within the workplace or in your family, nuclear family. I mean, it, it's just, can we start recognizing where these elements are showing up? And then I'm a firm believer in boundaries. So maybe it's a boundary thing. <laughs> we need to set some boundaries. But it is what we're doing in one area of life. And that's why I say, you know, life coaching people say, well, where do you focus on? I focus on your you. Like that's at the end of the day. I'm just focused on you. I am focused on you understanding you because all of these life domains are intertwined. I love it. I love it. So now I didn't, I don't think we talked about you are actually a podcaster yourself. And so your podcast called Rise Up, Live Joy Your Way is available. I know it's on Apple iTunes and other other platforms. Can you and I love the fact that they're kind of short and they kind of are very focused on specific topics. Do you want to talk a little bit about like how did you get to you know, just all of a sudden you decided you wanted to podcast or like what, what happened? <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I realized, so originally they were a bit longer. And then for me, I realized that I sometimes have like these thoughts where it's like, I want to say this thing about this topic and maybe it would be helpful. And I also realized that for me, balancing all these things, I don't always have all 20, 30, even an hour to like listen to something. So it was also part of it, it was like, can I give people just a snippet. And then if it, they want more, they can go get more type thing. I've got plenty of blogs. Like, so normally I'll talk about something that I'm also blogging on so that that way there is more available on the, the subject. But 
for me, it is usually something that's either come up in several coaching conversations where I'm like, okay, this seems to be a theme. And sometimes it's just something that I would like to talk about. And then sometimes it's just things that I'm noticing just in maybe social media. I'm noticing a lot of dialogue around something. Like for instance, I do blog a lot or podcast a lot about like narcissistic dynamics and and relationships and toxic relationships. Because right now that I think people are starting to finally talk about it. I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah. And so so I'm, I'm like things will pop up. Like recently, I just recorded a. I don't think it's been released yet, but I recorded a podcast, a very short snippet on just passive, covert, passive aggressive narcissism, because that's something that I've noticed in just what I'm reading and seeing. But then also, it's actually come up in several conversations that I've had with clients where they're just dealing with, in in all domains of life, workplace, friendships, family. And so I thought, well, this seems to be a something that could be helpful, and that's really what drives what I end up talking about is, well, when sometimes it's just interesting to me, but a lot of times it's what, what could be in service? What could I serve people with? What information could they potentially use? Yeah. And I love it. Cause I think a lot of times, especially as people of color, we, you know, we don't reach out, you know? And so it's a wonderful way to get people to, you know, listen to information, learn about something that maybe they wouldn't. So I just think it's phenomenal all the things that you're doing to bring joy into the world. We need more of that. So I do want to make sure that people know how to reach you, like what you're doing. So can you tell them, I mean, if they're interested in reaching out, where do they go? What do they do? Where do they find me? <laughs> yes. I am on, I am on the web at commonywood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram with the handle it's authentic me. I love it. It's authentic you, Comedy. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for this conversation. It has been such a joy and a pleasure to meet and talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.